Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Mile Higher Podcast, episode 219, and I am back. Woo! Yeah! Yeah! Okay, it feels honestly crazy to be back on camera, because it's been a while. It's been a minute. I'm trying to think how many episodes I did without you. It's probably... Eight? No. Five? Yeah, I'm thinking like five or six at least. At least. Good job. Good job. So you did try to hold it down, try to keep the people entertained for a while. Great. (laughs) And I really appreciate it. I appreciate all of you guys, my whole team here sitting in this room for being patient with me during my leave and all of you who have been so supportive, all of your comments telling me to take as much time as I need and wishing us well. It's really nice to it definitely takes it because when you do this for a living, it definitely you can definitely feel the pressure of like, oh, I got to Oh, yeah, I got to get back to it, you know. Yeah, people are lots of people waiting for me, and so it's mm-hmm. nice to hear like from your audience that they're like, "Hey, yeah, take all the time you need." Totally, it was very comforting at times where I'd start getting anxious about feeling like I was taking too much time. I would go to the comment section and just read and just the support yeah. and people who get it, right. you know, right? They just understand. So, yes, um, I'm back and I have had a child. <laughs> she is here. She's actually here right under, now. Under the table. <laughs> <laughs> She's in the office building. She's being babysat by Cindy right now. And yeah, it's been the most amazing time of my life. I was really. going to say, do you want to like summarize your experience? Like, well, you don't need to get into specifics. I'll talk so just more like, about that kind of thing on the sesh. Yeah. Go check it out if you have not already. But yeah, I mean, it was the most, this whole time has been the most incredible experience I would think of our lives. I don't know if you agree. Do you agree? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> For I mean, sure. I've been kind of waiting to kind of give some of my thoughts because um, I thought it'd be interesting for you and I to kind of talk about a little, just a little bit just because. Oh, yeah. It's it's such a profound experience to go through mm-hmm. that you hear about your whole life. You hear it from your parents. Then you hear it from your friends as you get older who have children. But you don't actually, it doesn't actually like hit you the significance of, of, having a baby and yeah. going through childbirth and everything like until oh, yeah. you do it until <laughs> you're there the <laughs> at the hospital like yep and from my perspective watching you mm-hmm. go through this experience was like i forever am like in debt to you which this is recorded so you can always pull this out <laughs> if i ever forget about that but no seriously like my respect for you mm. and just my admiration and love for you has grown to a Whole, like an extraterrestrial level, like Ooh. a interstellar level. Like, Ooh, I like love that. Beyond, beyond anything that I thought was possible before, because watching, I mean, watching you from the very beginning, it's mm-hmm. just, it's just such a crazy thing to go from <laughs> literally nothing yep. to this living, breathing human being that's yep. got a consciousness, that's got a name. And you're just like, how did this happen? Yeah. The miracle of life, I guess. It definitely is a miracle. It feels like a miracle. Yeah, going through it, watching it all happen. I mean, I'd never been in, obviously been in the room when someone had given birth before. And Was it what you expected or was it not um, at all like what no, you expected? No, I don't think you can really expect it or be prepared for it fully in any way. Like I had some ideas, but you can only get so much by watching, you know, videos of other people doing yeah, it. Like yeah. I'd watched a lot of Discovery Health type stuff growing up. And then I watched a ton of vlogs, YouTubers, but their experience it's I mean, very, it's it's, edited way down. Well, and it's, too, so, yeah. it's just so different. Yeah. Um, 
it really wasn't anything like I could have understood. And just the most profound experience too, to have your child placed on your chest. And like her, when she looked at me, that's when I was like in a different planet. Like this thing just came out of me and she's looking at me (laughs) and it looks like she's looking into your soul. It's like, it was amazing. It was the most incredible moment of my life for sure. I finally get what people are saying that I used to never understand that. Like, why is the best day of your life the day you gave birth? Because that's not a fun experience. The birth (laughs) part, right? Right. (laughs) For, I mean, for some people, the lucky. But I get it now. It was the best day of my life for sure. The most memorable day of my life for sure. Absolutely. I think it's, I mean, I know it's something that I'll remember till, you know, I'm dead. Like, (laughs) till I'm dead. (laughs) Seriously, like, in just in vivid detail of mm-hmm. everything that happened and I know it was just such a beautiful thing to to watch and experience and they say as a woman you're programmed to kind of forget what you go through so that you'll do it again but I don't know if that's true like I'm not forgetting it. it's not fading at all <laughs> it's still very fresh though <laughs> yeah true. it's true it's only been not even two months so but yeah it was a crazy experience I was in labor for like not active labor but I was induced so it was like Pre-labor, a forty-eight hour because, period, yeah. forty-nine hours technically. Yeah, it was like two two full days. Yeah, I'll be talking more about that on, like I said, the sesh. But our daughter's amazing. She's ha- healthy. She's, worth it. She's happy. She- <laughs> Definitely worth it. She's really funny, and we just love being parents. Yeah, and just the other thing I I think I brought up in a previous episode was just how my mindset and just the way I view the world yes. and, and especially yep. a lot of the things that we talk about here on the show mm-hmm. um, from true crime all the way yep. across the board, mm-hmm. just how having a child now, a daughter impacts my view. And like, even in the last couple of cases talking about, um, you know, people's daughters that have been, have been murdered or, you know, gone missing, things like that. It's just, it, it's a whole different level of feeling mm-hmm. that I get when I'm, you know, learning and and researching these cases because just like you start to kind of feel a little bit more than what i could before like before i had to kind of imagine Mm -hmm. it was kind of this imaginary thing and and Mm -hmm. empathize that way but now it's just this real there's more to relate to. like can't even imagine like you can't imagine now Mm -hmm. like you just love your children so much you just always want them with you and it's true i think the way that i view everything in life definitely the content we do and yeah the way I view everything in life has kind of changed. My outlook on a lot of things has changed. And I think that's going to be, you know, obviously hard, but powerful and drive me more to want to help in cases and, you yeah, know, just yeah. to, un- yeah, it does change everything though. I think that's why I kind of needed more time than I thought to come back because it's impactful it yes and it puts your life into perspective majorly mm-hmm. and it's like this major milestone in your life you're shifting from you know we were young adults you know with no children and now we're you know kind of shifting to that next stage where we're now adults with children yep and just each day that goes by she gets older she you know she's growing quickly she's she's mentally progressing quickly and you just yeah. start realizing like all the things that are ahead of us and mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just, it's one of those things where. Yeah. 
Like we are different humans sitting here than yeah. I guess that's this. that's the moral of the story to, is like yeah, yeah. it's definitely we definitely feel different. Yeah. I don't know if anybody else out there has had kids feels I'm sure. You know, there was like this one version of you but that version died when your child was born. <laughs> Damn. Honestly, it's, yeah. It's the truth though. Like <laughs> it it's is. it's the cold hard truth like it, it like the <laughs> I'm scared. old version of you dies like it does. And this new anyone, version is birthed in you kind of have like an identity you, crisis. For a you sec. do, you do. Well, it's like, <laughs> but in the best way possible. Do I you mean, still feel like you at all, though? Like you're still Josh at the, at the core, yes. But yeah. like, yes, obviously we're still us. But like, but your level of selfishness now. and your level <laughs> no. of like doing yeah. things for yourself has decreased significantly. Totally. Like, yeah, you no longer like, you just don't care as much about like what you want to do or or, you know, the things that make you happy. Yeah. It's you mm-hmm. want your kid to be happy uh-huh. at the end of the day that's what matters your child needs your to be motives happy. change they, your goals change yeah like, it's like you live for the way them. you want to approach life changes yeah it's just a lot so profound that's the one way i've put this whole thing it is it's and transformative experience yeah which i thought other things out there were going to provide that for me but nothing provided it like this in this way it's just i knew that would it's just it was like a smack in the face. It was like I just got <laughs> ran was. over. Like I just got yeah. ran over. Like the emotions that came over me when when she was born was mm-hmm. was so overwhelming. I just was like crying. I was just like yeah. <laughs> the videos. Those so yeah, just like completely breaking down because I'm like I just felt like my whole identity <laughs> was just like being just shattered to the ground, and then this new one was like being birthed, and it's this more just more loving and <laughs> caring and patient like i just feel like i got better as a human Same. being that's awesome and, which is awesome and 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 hopefully those around me see that because i feel that way i feel like i've become a better version of myself i and, do too and it's just i was gonna say that and like i feel like it was kind of a little bit of a selfish asshole at times like before like a little bit like <laughs> i think everyone's really myself. selfish until you have a kid and then you like realize wow yep it's not about me anymore and it's like it's it's also turning to like now you're living for her future and what what's the what's the world going to look like for her what's mm-hmm. you know what's yeah that's what kind of environment thing. are you going to create for her what are you going to yeah. teach her what are you going to do with her the what what's I important lie awake and think about yeah <laughs> welcome to parenthood yep but, but yes that's i guess a little, is there anything else you wanted to add no no i just wanted to share a little bit about that just cuz I, I, I didn't know, know you of, hadn't really spoken about it. I mean, I, I, ha- I have bit. a little bit here and there, but I just kind of wanted to dive into it a little bit more because it is, it's, I mean, it's a big deal. It's yeah. like, this is not just like, it's not like anything else in the world. Like Nothing. there's, there's death and then there's life. And we've experienced both in the last couple of months and having those. Well, explain that. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> just drop that. Yeah. Well, a couple months ago, my grandmother passed mm-hmm. um, actually right before we were about to film an episode with, I think yeah, we mentioned this I'm with sure some guests that we had. This, and yeah. then, and then, yeah, your, your grandmother just yeah. passed this past week. Yes. Yep. About a week ago now. And we were with her. Yeah. And Josh, Josh and I were literally the, the ones in the room with her at the end. Yeah. And so that was very, very different than, but, obvi- but kind of the same in, in a weird way. Like it was so, beautiful yeah but i don't know yeah going through both of those things recently has been very like eye-opening definitely and just for me it's made me realize just how 
precious mm. our time yes. is like to experience like being in the maternity ward and then being at mm-hmm. the funeral home yeah. in such a short amount of time is is one of the just trippiest things because you experience life at its at, at the very beginning and then you're experiencing it at the end and you're like it's and you start realizing it's just not that much time in between yeah and i don't and i don't say this to be like a downer i say this to be like encouraging and you know if you are feeling down about your life like you shouldn't because it's like you it's such a short amount of time that yeah that, every I mean, that's every second say, but. no i know but i'm just yeah. saying like i'm talking from a very aerial point of view of like yeah times like live your life to the fullest do everything you want to do reach those dreams yeah i I think i've been thinking a lot about time too because of her passing but also seeing how fast our daughter's growing that's what i'm saying time is it's flying by and when you have a child i feel like every second is like precious i mean i and then i had my 30th birthday it's yep. like now I'm now I feel really old. So now we're just old and <laughs> sad and time I'm is not, running out, guys. I'm, I'm I'm not sad. No, we're not. I'm very happy. I'm very excited for the future. Mm-hmm. It's just you start living a different yeah. way. No, I think point. people who have had kids will definitely understand that. It's like the hourglass <laughs> has been turned. You know, uh, we're aware of it now. Now we're on the second half. So that, we just feel like we gotta enjoy every second with our child because it's and each it other. short. Yes. And each other. That's true. Okay. And me. Yes. And all all of, you know, everybody that. (laughs) Yes. That is our friends, family, coworkers. Mm -hmm. It's just, yeah, life is precious. It is. Sometimes I wish you and I had a segment or a show like this where we could just talk about things that aren't as. Well, we Let's right add now. another podcast. I know that's the, the thing. <laughs> we're not doing enough. <laughs> yeah, we're pretty spread thin, so I don't know, but I know you guys would be into that no, for think, sure. I think we could just do it, especially on episodes like today, which we haven't mm-hmm. even mentioned what we're covering today. Um, oh yeah, we're not doing Shall it I when mention? we're not covering crime because it it feels you know when it's crime we want to be we want to be focused on the case we want to be serious we want to yes. you know deliver. Um, you know, mm-hmm. deliver that in a in an appropriate manner versus like when we don't cover. That's why on Malhar we'd like to cover some non. We're not just hundred percent pure true crime all the time mm-hmm. because we do like to kind of have these other episodes where we're able to kind of go on these tangents and mm-hmm. sort of just talk sometimes because sometimes yeah. there's just you know. Yeah, we don't like to use too much of our true crime episode time for personal or for too much discussion unless it's really or just talking case. about kind of off topic type of things. Yeah. And, but it would so, be cool if we had the time. Maybe one day time will just, we'll have some more. <laughs> I don't know the way time's going. <laughs> I don't know. But okay, today we are talking about a very interesting topic that I think a lot of you probably have not heard of. I would several be things. surprised if a majority yeah. of you have heard about the number of historical figures whose body parts have gone missing for very strange and mysterious reasons. Yes. Sketchy reasons. I mean, some of them are straight sketchy. I mean, there's mm-hmm. conspiracy wrapped around. I mean, we're going to be talking about JFK's brain. Yes. It's gone. It's gone. <laughs> probably never heard that. That's like, in, we were just talking about, there's no no documentaries where. Well, as far as I know, as I've far seen as a I've lot seen, of JFK yeah. conspiracy documentaries and no one has really talked about his brain being missing unless I am literally forgetting but both of us don't remember that do you remember that uh no but i'm not nearly as educated on that subject as you are 
I, I've read a lot of JFK stuff. I've re- watched a lot of JFK stuff. We've had like two episodes on JFK yeah, out there. Yeah. And I can tell you right now, I've never heard about his brain being missing. Yeah, I don't remember that at all. Which is interesting because it just feeds and plays into the conspiracy totally. around it, which we'll get yeah. into. But so you'd think it would be in one of those documentaries because it's a, it really does kind of aid the theory big time. So I don't know. You guys will have to let us know what you think, but... Um, today's episode is sponsored by ExpressVPN and Simply Safe. Also, check out our merch. Oh yes, Yes, we that just restocked right. like everything. I think so. We Ooh. should have everything in all sizes. Ooh, here, go check it out. Yeah, we have some really good designs out right now. So Kennedy's brain mysteriously disappeared three years after his death. He was assassinated, for those who aren't familiar, on November 22nd, 1963 in Dallas, Texas. On the day of his assassination, he was driving through Dealey Plaza in a motorcade with his wife, Jackie, and Texas Governor John Connolly and his wife. The first shot rang out at 12.30 p.m., and it passed through the back of the president's throat. Then a few seconds later, a second shot rang out and struck Kennedy in the head. He immediately slumped over and died. He was rushed to the Parkland Hospital, where he was pronounced dead shortly after. Lee Harvey Oswald was arrested soon after and charged with the president's murder. He had used a rifle to shoot and kill Kennedy from the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository Building. And shortly after his arrest, Lee Harvey Oswald was shot and killed by local club owner Jack Ruby. According to one account, after the shooting, Jackie held some of his brains in her hands and tried giving them to one of the surgeons. After witnessing her husband's tragic death, she was in so much shock that she thought giving the surgeon the brains would help to save his life. Here's a Secret Service agent actually describing Jackie's grief. And this is a pretty interesting interview overall. What's what's happening in the car at this time? What are the other people doing? Nobody is saying anything. At first, Mrs. Kennedy made some comments. She said, uh, oh, Jack, what have they done? They've shot his head off. I have his brains in my hand. I love you, Jack. And that was all she said. And then we raced to the hospital. When we got to the hospital, they, they had been alerted that we were coming by the chief of police. But there was nobody there outside to meet us at all. So the agent in the lead car jumped out, ran in. He found that there was a tenant trying to bring out two gurneys at the same time. They got caught in the doorway and couldn't do it. So he grabbed one of the gurneys and brought it out. And then the attendant brought the other one out we had to remove the governor from the car before we could do anything for the president because of the way the car was configured. So we got the governor up and put him on a gurney and they rushed him into the emergency room. Uh, then we were going to work and help the president get out, just take the president, put him on a gurney. But Mrs. Kennedy had a hold of him and she wouldn't let go. So I pleaded with her. I said, please, Mrs. Kennedy, let us help the president. And never got no response at all. And then I did said that again, and I still didn't get any response. And then I thought to myself, I know what's wrong. I've been with her over three years now. I know her pretty well. She didn't want anybody to see the condition he's in because it was horrible. And so I took off my suit coat, and I covered up his head and his upper back. As soon as I did that, she let go. We lifted him up, put him on a gurney, ran into the emergency room, put him in trauma room one. So multiple witnesses saw her with brain matter in her hands mm-hmm. however other people said that she never had brain matter in her hands so it's kind of you know this is all pretty iffy 
according to some people, there was nothing left at all, that the shot basically obliterated the whole brain and there was nothing left in his head. Here's that Secret Service agent saying that there was no brain matter left in JFK's head and Jackie collected the brain matter. Getting there, there was another shot that was fired. That one I heard and I felt because that time the president had fallen a little bit farther to his left and his head was way down, like kind of like this. And that sh shot hit him in the back of the head. And then it erupted out of the upper right quadrant, just above the ear. And it blew that portion of the skull, skull which was still attached to the scalp, forward like a flap, kind of. And out of that wound gushed blood and bone fragments and mm. brain matter all over the back of the car, all over me, all over Mrs. Kennedy. When I started to get up in the car, Mrs. Kennedy came up in the trunk. She was trying to grab some of that material that had erupted out of the president's head, and she managed to get some of it in her hand. I grabbed her and put her in the back seat. When I did that, the president's body fell to his left into her lap. The right side of his face was up. I could see his eyes were fixed. There was a hole in the skull. I could see in that hole there was no brain matter left. It had all been blown out. The autopsy on JFK was performed at the Bethesda Naval Hospital. And apparently by that time, there was nothing left inside of his cranium besides, you know, little splattered bits of brain matter. But regardless, it seems like some of his brain was somewhat intact. Whatever was left was removed during his autopsy and kept in the National Archives. The brain was placed in a white or stainless steel container with a screw top lid. Then it was stored in a Secret Service office filing cabinet. From there, the brain was placed in a storage chest or a foot locker. It was stored there with some other evidence until it eventually made its way to the National Archives. At the National Archives, in a secure room designated for use by JFK's secretary, Evelyn Lincoln, the brain and other autopsy materials were stored. Evelyn was supposed to use that room to organize Kennedy's presidential papers. But in 1966, it was discovered that Kennedy's brain, his brain tissue slides, and other autopsy materials had just magically disappeared. And to this day, nobody, or at least the public, has any idea what happened to those remains. So obviously, a lot of people theorized that maybe Kennedy was shot from the front, not the back. And obviously, if his brain was missing, it kind of can, you know, aids to that theory. According to this theory, there is more than one shooter that shot Kennedy from a grassy knoll near Dealey Plaza. Some witnesses reported hearing a shot ring out from behind this grassy knoll. And according to the official conclusion made by the Warren Commission, Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. He shot Kennedy twice from above and behind from the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository. Obviously, there's a lot of mixed opinions on whether or not that is true. But I know that most of the population believes that Kennedy, that there was a conspiracy involved in his death. Oh, yeah. It's it's a large amount of people that believe that there's a yeah. conspiracy. I know it's the majority. Well, there was like a number of eyewitnesses that were on that grassy knoll that heard mm -hmm. an additional gunshot. Yeah. From a quick Google search, what I found is that 61% of Americans believe more than one man was responsible. That's a good chunk. Yeah. That's a good chunk. I've also seen like 70%, but I don't know how they get those numbers anyway. So yeah. Who really knows? But yeah, I think I know majority of our fans definitely 
yeah. believe it was a conspiracy. Well, especially when you start looking into Lee Harvey Oswald and, mm-hmm. you know, did he have the skills yeah. to be able to make that shot? Mm-hmm. I mean, the shots are... Oh, there's so much weirdness. ...are uh, marksman-level skill to, yeah. to put the bullet where it ended up. Yeah, it would have been. Mean, and just the footage of it. I mean, you can see it when he gets shot. I mean, people argue it anyway. Yeah, people but, argue it back and forth. I mean, especially from the footage, people argue mm-hmm. it looks like he was only hit from the back, but... To me, it looks like he was hit from the front, leans back, leans right. forward. But there are so many weird things. The movie theater, Jack Ruby is such a strange element. Like, Yeah, randomly. Yeah. yeah. What? Um, and then his background. I mean, there's there's so much. It's really interesting stuff. I want to do another episode on it. Josh and Janelle are like, okay, you've done two. You're done. <laughs> That's enough. <laughs> I need to revisit it once a year. <laughs> Please. Well, and then, like, when Trump was president, uh, that he was supposedly releasing a ton of oh, files. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, what happened to that? And nope. nothing really Shocker. came from that. No. And and things that do get released end up being, there's tons of, like, redacted. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's what happened. There's ton, tons of blacked out. I think we talked about it when they came out. Oh, yeah. How we thought, you know. I think that's when we revisited it last. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Around that time. But there was, like, potentially a name in there that was mm. blacked out. It's, it's one of those, yeah. Stuff. It's one of those that I don't think we'll ever know the truth about. That's for sure. And I mean, even at the time in 1976, the United States House Select Committee on Assassinations was actually formed in order to investigate the assassinations of not only John F. Kennedy but also Martin Luther King Jr., mm-hmm. which we've we've talked about that one in yeah. great depth. So in 1979, the committee concluded that Oswald didn't act alone, and that there was probably a second shooter involved. However, they also concluded that the Secret Service, the CIA, or the FBI weren't involved either. Which, you know, when you're a government committee investigating the government, yeah. mm-hmm. are you going to actually, you know, if you find evidence that, you know, an agency mm-hmm. within the United States government yeah. potentially was involved, are you going to, you know, release that? No, because in that, I mean, ima- imagine though, if the this committee found that the CIA had murdered both of them what would that have done to our government and to oh the, yeah they the, like mm-hmm. can you imagine no if, well i can't it would be sort of it would be crazy people would never trust the government again no there would be oh it would be so insane it would complete i think it would completely break down the yeah. entire structure mm-hmm. and there'd be a real problem on their hands for sure mm-hmm. yeah definitely a lot of reason to want to keep that a secret mm-hmm they also couldn't exactly identify who conspired with Oswald to kill Kennedy. They just said that it was highly probable someone else was involved. But, of course, there was no official U.S. government involvement. They think that the second culprit could have been a member of the mafia, perhaps, or even an anti-Castro Cuban activist. But the committee based their conclusion on sounds recorded from the assassination. But a drummer from a rock band in Ohio actually bought a copy of that recording and listened to it for four months and he finally discovered that the audio recording was taken after the assassination, not during it. A team of researchers confirmed the drummer's conclusion in 1982, so pretty quickly that discredited the House Committee's investigation completely. Still, there are plenty of people who think that there was a second gunman or some sort of conspiracy involved, and the missing brain is definitely a suspicious piece of evidence to go missing. you think someone wouldn't just lose a brain, especially that of an assassinated U.S. president. Yeah. You would think that that would be like in Fort Knox, right? Mm. This would be like under, I mean, imagine if it was 
you know, the queen or like a member of the monarchy. Right, right. That, yeah. that shit would be locked down. There'd be guards outside of it. But no, they just magically disappeared. Yeah, it's very, it's just strange. Mm-hmm. So there is another theory out there that says that the brain was actually taken by John F. Kennedy's brother, Robert F. Kennedy. Apparently, he stole the brain with the help of his assistant and lost it to hide the extent of JFK's illnesses. Or perhaps it, he stole it in order to hide, you know, hide it from the public ever finding out about medications he was taking. But another reason might be that RFK didn't want his brother's brain to be put on public display. This theory is seemingly backed up by U.S. government documents, which, why would they do that? Yeah, I don't know. Why, in, <laughs> like, in, like, the Smithsonian, they just have, like, JFK's brain? Like, I feel like for a U.S. president, that would never happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, it, it'd almost be, I mean, it would yeah. be disrespectful to yeah. do that to I don't the Kennedy family. I don't see why that would have been a thing, but this is just a theory. Right, but according to U.S. Assistant Attorney General Burke Marshall, Robert Kennedy obtained and disposed of these materials himself without informing anyone else. Burke Marshall also stated that Robert Kennedy wanted to eliminate any chance of the brain being displayed publicly. He doesn't think anyone other than Robert knew where the brains were, and he didn't believe that the remains could ever be recovered, which would imply that Robert Kennedy stole the brain and destroyed it, which, I don't know, that doesn't make a lot of sense either. But obviously, nobody had the chance to ask Robert about the brain for very long because just like his brother, Robert F. Kennedy himself was assassinated on November 20th, 1968, about two years after the brain actually disappeared. And his death is subject to a lot of conspiracy theories as well. I mean, he's tied to the Kennedy family. We even have, Mm -hmm. I think we did a whole episode on the Kennedy family, the Kennedy curse. Yeah, we have. I mean, it's just the Mm -hmm. whole family is just riddled with tragedy. Such a fascinating family, God. But to this day, his brain is still missing. We have no idea where it went, what happened to it, or why it got lost in the first place. I mean, what's your best guess for? Well, I don't think his brother stole it. I think that's yeah, I don't a little bit that of a stretch. This idea that to steal it, based on what the Secret Service agent we just heard, mm-hmm. and the way he talked about how Jackie was like, yeah, trying to like cover up mm-hmm. JFK, they didn't want anybody to see his wounds. To some extent, I believe that. And I think the sort of the official narrative is that it was to so that people didn't see what actually happened to him, mm-hmm. like the extent of his injuries. And right. But at the same time, it's like, why does that matter in the grand scheme of things? He was assassinated. He died. So what does it matter if we know that he, you know, was shot in the head or not? Like what what significance is that really or importance is that really have in the grand scheme well, of things does that tarnish his image as a president forever if no we found out his, his i mean if that was the reason she did it, i think it would be she was just very perfect and about, which it was a different yeah time she was probably than, trying to like protect his image and yeah i think that people that's what a, he'd be remembered as then like if right. that was out there i think yes. that would be the four if you google his name that's what would come up yeah you know what i mean totally you know would you want yeah i i think you're right with that. That makes total sense to me. You know, his body was, you know, mm-hmm. taken, but his brain is taken separately. Why? Why did that happen? I don't know. What's the purpose? Which I get like when brains are taken in autopsies, it's usually for scientific research, mm-hmm. right? And, and so maybe that's why they did it is because yeah. of the illnesses that he had and that they were going to do some or sort just of who he was. research on it. Yeah. Right. Maybe, maybe there's they just made a decision to. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because. 
we're going to be talking about Albert Einstein's brain. So when you think about these influential figures, especially ones that had, you know, great ideas and, you know, Mm -hmm. a genius like Albert Einstein, it would sort of make sense for why someone want to take his brain and study it Mm -hmm. and perhaps try to gain some knowledge from it. But I think, I mean, all signs really point to them wanting to hide, you know, potentially wounds related to JFK. I mean, I wouldn't, mm, all signs point to that. I think that's possible, but I don't know. I mean, it does add to the theory, which I do really believe the theory, but I, don't, I just think. And why would it just be gone? Why wouldn't that be preserved somewhere? Like, Well, his you can literally see his head is like, exploded pretty much i mean so maybe it wasn't would, would enough it have made enough to right, people to, to even figure it out anything sure, from it right. it was like bits and pieces i mean i don't know i think this is interesting but i think it's like a stretch that there's anything you know sketchy going on behind the scenes of why like you don't think that so if, let's just say theoretically the cia assassinated jfk you wouldn't think that they'd want to go and get that evidence and destroy it before eventually one day, if it was, you know, somebody did study it. Like, let's just say down the road, if it had been preserved, which it sounds like it wasn't, yeah. sounds like, you know, you usually have to put things like that in formaldehyde yeah. or something like that to preserve it for years and years and years. So based on what they're saying and how it was preserved, sound, it sounds like too that just based on how they stored it, it could have just like dried up and disintegrated over time into like dust. Cause I mean, mm-hmm. that type of, tissue is not going to stay good in a box for 50 years right but if it was preserved we don't know for sure whether it was or not but if it was preserved it would make sense that whoever was truly responsible for his death would want to cover you know to get rid of that evidence because what if one day mm -hmm. it resurfaces or we have the technology let's say we're able Mm -hmm. to reconstruct the brain from a single tissue sample right you can get a single tissue sample 3d print the brain and be able to actually like no, I'm serious. Like this is where its head is. Like we're able to actually look into the past and see that maybe like yeah. There's this injury here that doesn't make sense from and it was just open up this can of worms that could mm. potentially be very very let's just say I don't know. I still feel it would be very to hard explain. to determine anything from how it sounds the brain ended up. Yeah. Well, and that's that's the difficult thing like, is we don't know how how much tissue. Right. I don't have the autopsy report, so I can't tell you how much mm-hmm. how much of the brain matter was actually left. Was it a sizable amount? Was it, or was it just literally bits and pieces? Right. Like literally just bits and pieces left. Mm-hmm. But it, yeah, it'd be one thing if this is the whole brain. Yeah, but it's like contaminated scraps. But I don't. Yeah. I, but that's the thing is I don't believe that it was just scraps. I think there was a sizable amount of his brain still left. But you got to think like. Yeah, his head is big, but brains are not that big. They're like, what, the size of two fists put together, yeah. roughly? Like, your brain isn't that big. Isn't so if, it, if you got, I, yeah. if your brain was, you know, if you were shot in the head and a piece of your skull came out and your brain's coming, I mean, yeah. How but if much you was is shot sizable? in the front of the head, you know, like there would still be on, you know, it's, I don't think, I just have a hard time believing that it's going to obliterate it to in a million pieces because then his whole head would have been blown off. Which it sounds like you should look up the video again. We can't put this on YouTube. No, we cannot. <laughs> but obviously, it's easy to find. Traveling in this car, it's moving. So again, that's a more difficult shot. Shooting somebody in a moving car. Yeah. Just the way he recoiled, like the way his head mm-hmm. goes back like this, mm-hmm. as opposed to 
But I guess if it was back in the yeah. yeah, it's hard to say. I don't understand. You know, I'm not a ballistics yeah, expert same. or physics it's, expert. So it's it possible. looks that way. Yeah. But well, you guys will have to let us know what you think when it comes to John F. Kennedy's brain. Definitely interesting to think about. So the next case of a historical figure's body part going missing is Napoleon Bonaparte's penis. Yes, you heard that right. Yep. So Napoleon Bonaparte was a French military genius born on August 15, 1769 on the island of Corsica. Growing up, he didn't have a very good understanding of the French language, so he was bullied a lot in school. Plus, his mother definitely favored his brother, so Napoleon developed an inferiority complex. And during his lifetime, Napoleon was a celebrity, and he was well known as a powerful military leader. But since he was very famous, there were definitely a lot of people interested in his sex life back then. According to legend, Napoleon was a very short man, but the truth is Napoleon actually wasn't that short. That was a rumor spread by his enemies to make him look less powerful. He was actually around five foot five. Really? Mm-hmm. Damn. I always thought he was like four Which feet. Still, I think, fairly short, right? Depends on where you're from. Yeah. I guess I guess so, yeah. In other countries, that's kind of normal height, I guess. But maybe the real Napoleon complex is small dick energy. <laughs> Interestingly enough, Napoleon was a hopeless romantic who wrote all sorts of love letters to his wife, Josephine. But it seems like she didn't do a lot of writing back. Oh. In one letter to her, Napoleon wrote, I write you, my beloved one, very often. <laughs> and you write very little. <laughs> you are wicked and naughty. Very naughty. As much as you are fickle. Oh. oh. Look at him rhyming. the way they talk back then. <laughs> Fickle. <laughs> Napoleon was captured by the British in 1815 during the Battle of Waterloo. From there, he was sent to the island of St. Helena, and he died in exile on the island in 1821. His body was eventually taken to the island of Corsica for an autopsy. And during that autopsy, Napoleon's heart, stomach, and other organs were cut out by the doctor. But the most famous organ taken was his dick. For whatever reason, the doctor cut it off his body and smuggled it to a priest, which... <laughs> <laughs> so brutal questionable there the priest was later killed in a blood vendetta but napoleon's severed penis was passed down through the priest's family it's not super clear where it went or who got their hands on it but it might have fell in the hands of some other penis collectors out there <laughs> could you imagine you're in the family like son i have something to give yeah. to you you open the box like the son's yeah. like "Ooh, maybe it's like a gold coin yeah. or something and then you just like open, you open the box it's just like this shriveled like, Ew. you're like what's that dad and when you son know they didn't have it preserved very well oh Ew. no it wasn't preserved yeah we'll get to that Ew. Yeah. imagine how that thing would smell gross <laughs> so eventually in 1916 a british bookseller and collector took possession of it and he listed the penis in a catalog as a mummified tendon and after that, the penis was purchased by a bookseller and collector in Philadelphia named A.S.W. Rosenbach. He briefly put the penis on display at the Museum of French Art in New York in 1927, which this event drew big crowds <laughs> to see the little penis. Uh, the people described this as like a piece of leather or a shriveled heel. <laughs> Ew, that's, I can picture it. But because the penis hadn't been placed in any sort of preservative like formaldehyde or alcohol, it had shriveled up after all those years exposed to the air. So nasty. Which the interesting thing about it is we don't actually know like how big it was originally. Because again, it was shriveled up over time. So it's possible that it was get a much mesh? larger. <laughs> Why is that an interesting thing to note? Though? <laughs> <laughs> well, we all want to know. Like, 
He's five foot five. Maybe he was packing some huge slong. You never know. Well, but maybe. I feel like if you were, even over years, it probably wouldn't shrivel down to, you know. I, I think don't know. they shrivel quite a bit. Yeah. Plus, it wasn't erect. It was tiny. That's true. Flaccid wieners Good are much point. smaller. There's no blood flowing through it, so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's true. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> thank you wiener. for that. Thank you for that clarification, Janelle. You're welcome. Flaccid <laughs> penises are much smaller. Yes. Oh my God. So his wiener was eventually bought by U.S. collector and urologist John Latimer in 1977. So it would be taken out of circulation at that point. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he didn't like that people were making fun of Napoleon's Okay, penis so based size. off of that, <laughs> must have been small schmeckle. Yeah, it may be a schmeckle. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> but maybe it was a big schmeckle back in the day. Yeah, who really knows? Hundreds of years ago. <laughs> he wouldn't let anyone look at it, and he kept it in the briefcase under his bed. And as a urologist, he didn't like the kind of negative attention the item was getting because, you know, he took it seriously. As a Good urologist, him. dedicated yeah. his life to yeah. the weans. Well, you don't want to hurt all the other people out there. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. like, well, that's what mine looks like. So here's Latimer's daughter explaining her father's motivation to buy the penis. I mean, what motivated your father to buy Napoleon's penis? One of his big crusades, and he was the world's leading urologist for maybe 40 years, mm. um, was... He to- loves dicks. <laughs> lend dignity to that profession. Right after he got it, he x-rayed it and did all that just to make sure it was the real item. Right. It's and definitely a penis, right? No question about that. <laughs> the, the, all the internal structures are perfect, yeah. and if anyone knows anything what? about little internal structures there, it would be dad. Yeah. Really, lady? It's all perfect? <laughs> that is wild. That's interesting. That's disgusting. But even after all these years without being preserved, that you can still see the structures within all the tubes and stuff according to that guy can we pull up a diagram of penis so we can look at the structures Um, no (laughs) we're not doing that (laughs) okay so author tony perote wanted to see the penis as part of the writing of his book napoleon's privates 2500 years of history unzipped and latimer said hell no he wants dignity for the penis I get it. He doesn't want the publicity. Yeah, he doesn't want to be like doesn't want the about. penis yeah. publicist. It's important stuff. Penises are important too. Mm-hmm. But after he died in 2007, one of his daughters agreed to let Perote see the penis. And he said that it was about an inch and a half long and very small and very shriveled. And to him, it was like a little baby's finger. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> oh, that's so gross. Here's a video of him seeing the wean itself there inside this suitcase now we can't film this right yes we cannot film the actual item uh, but they're filming it is well, that it yeah God, but they don't actually show it okay Latimer. oh uh, come on it's a historic occasion look at this and here we oh have my God. Wow. And there you go. In a little wow. box. The object of all my dreams. <laughs> wow. <laughs> God, bro. Yeah, it's heavier than I thought. It's a beautiful box. Very tasteful, really. <laughs> wow. Well, Napoleon only had the best. Yeah. Well, should oh. I have a look? I suppose. Sorry, guys. <laughs> they turned the camera. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> there mm. it is. What uh, the hell? Once in a lifetime here. Wow. 
Well, it's definitely a penis. Yeah, but I, the descriptions that I'd read of it was more like a little grape, a sort of a, you know, a desiccated grape. This is definitely genital. <laughs> a little smaller than I thought, maybe an inch and a half or so. Maybe two inches, inch and a half, you think? And I guess that's what happens to, to flesh. I guess none of us are going to look too good after 185 years. <laughs> Imagine having that moment with him, like in that basement. I know, that's so funny like... that his dick just like ended up in this person's basement, basement. in a box. So I know, up. the great Napoleon. <laughs> Damn. I love his reaction. Oh, wow. <laughs> so forensic testing has been done and it confirmed that the remains are actually a penis, but it's never been fully confirmed that it actually was Napoleon's penis. The French government refuses to provide a sample of Napoleon's DNA to confirm the, if the penis is his. And there are also no pictures or videos of the penis itself. And there were no measurements taken of the penis at Napoleon's time of death. So we don't know for sure how big it was while he was alive. And that secret died along with his wife, Josephine, mm. and whoever else got a taste. Ew! <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, so the Venus remained in the Latimer family for years and only 10 people have seen it since John bought it. He paid $3,000 for it. Oh, I would have, about... I'd pay that right now. 3000 bucks for it to have that? That's... No, today's money, it's 13000 I'd pay 13000 for it. What? A penis? Hell okay. yeah, to have Napoleon's penis. You don't even know if it's Napoleon's penis. Well. Could be a cow penis for all we know. No, a cow penis would be, be an inch and a half. His daughter says that she has been offered $100,000 for the penis. So yeah, you'd be paying a lot more. When her brother found out about the offer, he was stunned. He actually told her to throw the penis away. Why? Why not take the money? Well, he didn't realize, probably. And then he found out about the offer and was like, holy shit, I was going to Or maybe they're out. just like, we don't want anybody to have it. Maybe. <laughs> Many of John Latimer's collector's items were sold off to an Argentinian collector in 2016. Napoleon's penis might be one of those items sold, but we don't know for sure. Other interesting items that he had were Abraham Lincoln's bloodstained collar, and a cyanide capsule used in a Nazi leader's suicide. What an interesting hobby to collect these sorts of things. Yeah. But I guess people collect Pretty everything. Cool. So Yeah, it is, especially these historical sort of yeah. artifacts. Did you know there's actually a penis museum? Mm-hmm. Where? Oh, yeah, we talked about it on the sesh. No. no, it's somewhere in Europe. Uh, they have, like, the world. Or like, maybe it's, um, no, 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 it's not Scotland. It's Iceland. Yep, Iceland. It's Iceland? Oh, yes. yes. Yep. <laughs> I made a PowerPoint about it for Janelle yeah, and yeah, a while ago. Don't ask. Philological museum. Show Josh this place. Let's just well, go check real, it out, though. guys. No, it is. It's a bunch of different um, animals. Yeah, there's statues like, of them. Every animals. ween out there. Oh, mm -hmm. they've got like whales on and stuff in there. In there. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you see? Yeah, we'll just do a quick show. Oh, uh, right. that's cute. But the next case we're going to look at is the mystery of Geronimo's stolen bones. So who was Geronimo? Geronimo was a legendary Apache medicine man and leader born on June 16th, 1829. And in 1846, he was put on the Apache Warriors Council and from there he led many successful raids against the Mexican army. His bravery and courage in their battle in order to resist colonization led Geronimo to rise up the ranks quickly. After the U.S. began invading Apache lands in 1848, Geronimo led many raids in an effort to stop the U.S. government's military campaign against the Apache tribe. 
1886, after his third breakout from reservation lands, Geronimo was captured and held as a prisoner of war by the U.S. government. And he ended up dying of pneumonia in 1909 at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. And he was buried in a plot there. His grave would remain undisturbed for only nine years, but in 1918, his grave was allegedly robbed by, get this, six members of the Order of Skull and Bones, including Prescott Bush, the father of George H.W. Bush and grandfather of George W. Bush. All three of them were members of the society. George W. Bush was actually asked about the society and meet the press once, and he said, it's so secret we can't talk about it. So the Skull and Bones Society is a secret society at Yale University in New Haven, Connecticut. The secret society has ties to the Bush family and other prominent American politicians. It was formed in 1832 or 190 years ago. So allegedly, Geronimo's grave was robbed by Prescott Bush and the other members in 1918 just for bragging rights. That year, multiple members of the order were stationed at an army outpost in Fort Sill, Oklahoma during World War I. They allegedly stole his skull, two bones, a bridle, and some stirrups, and the stolen remains were then placed inside a glass case, which was stored in a padlocked room at the Skull and Bones Clubhouse, known as the Tomb. Members of the secret society, or Bonesmen, are strictly prohibited from talking about what happens at the tomb. But a researcher actually stumbled upon a letter at Yale University's library that seemingly confirms this grave robbing rumor. The letter was written by one Bonesman to another in 1918, and it read, The skull of the worthy Geronimo the Terrible, exhumed from its tomb at Fort Sill by your club, and the knight Hafner is now safe inside the tomb, together with his well-worn femurs, bit, and saddle horn. We might never know if the bones were actually removed from Geronimo's grave. The chairman of the Fort Sill Apache tribe does not want to further disturb any of the resting human remains to find out, so they're not going to go back in there to actually check to see if everything's there or not, but... There are over 800 living members of the Skull and Bones Society, and it's been over 100 years since the alleged grave robbing took place. So there's a chance that the bones were moved out of the Skull and Bones tomb if they were ever there in the first place. But again, this is a super secret society, and all the members take a sworn oath to never discuss what goes on in the tomb. So if they do have the bones, it's not super likely that any of the members will share that secret. It's also important to note that Skull and Bones is not affiliated with Yale University. The tomb is not on their property and the university does not have any access to it. In a statement, the university denied having possession of Geronimo's remains. But when Skull and Bones has asked for a comment, they have not made any. That's really interesting. That might be a kind of a interesting episode for us to I don't know. Do I, you know, I've looked into it a bit and there's there's not that much. Yeah. A, the the mm-hmm. thing with secret societies mm-hmm. is that there's not that much. Yeah. Especially on like Skull and Bones because they keep it real tight. Like, other than the Bush family was involved in it, which we all know the history of the Bush family. Definitely, probably yeah. not a lot of great individuals there in the Skull and Bone Society. But, I mean, if there was one that we would cover, it'd definitely be like the Freemasons. There's, there's a lot yeah. on the Freemasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of really powerful people are connected to Skull and Bones. In fact, some of the members actually helped found the CIA. And interestingly enough, when the CIA created their mission to kill Osama bin Laden, it was named Operation Geronimo. It's kind of curious. Yeah, yeah, that is that is interesting. This really upset Geronimo's living descendants, actually, and they asked that the operation be renamed. Here's a clip of his great-grandson speaking out about it. 
these historians, so-called historians, they uh, twist things around and make him look like a terrorist and make him sound like something that he's not. The Geronimos are a family who've defended their land in more ways than one. They have three generations of military service. So for the Navy SEALs to use the Geronimo name to describe one of the most hated terrorists in the world? That's a slap in the face of my family. Uh, there's no way that uh, you can compare Osama bin Laden to my grandfather Geronimo. Which is why Geronimo is standing up for the Apache today. If there's anything my grandfather gave me, it's uh, the strength to protect my people. But, he says, when it comes to his family name, he doesn't need to clear that up. That history can't be changed. Our name cannot be destroyed. Our grandfather can't be put down. No matter what they say, they can't do anything. He's greater than any man that ever was. So his family actually ended up suing Skull and Bones over the grave robbing back in 2009. They accused the society of desecrating the legendary Apache chief's final resting place and disturbing his spirit. They also filed a lawsuit against Yale University and members of the U.S. government, including Barack Obama. In 2010, the lawsuit, surprise, surprise, was dismissed. And according to the judge, the lawsuit was dismissed because the plaintiffs didn't establish the government that waived its rights not to be sued without its consent. This is known as the concept of sovereign immunity. The reason for this was that Geronimo's family cited the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act in their suit against the university and the society. But the judge said that the law only applied to grave robberies that took place after it was enacted in 1990. So because of that, Geronimo's bones still have not been returned to their rightful resting place. And the government wouldn't prosecute the Skull and Bones Society for the stolen remains. His descendants still hope his remains can be reburied at his birthplace on Apache land in New Mexico. But as of now, the location of his bones are still a mystery. That's messed up, man. There should at least I be know. an investigation to see if they actually have it or not. Yeah. At the but very least. But is it surprising? No. No. And it's Skull and Bones. <sighs> That's crazy. I actually had never heard that about Skull and Bones, but that would make total sense. So the next historical figure that we're going to talk about also may have had his grave robbed. And that figure is the legendary English playwright, William Shakespeare. But before we get into that, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Another historical figure whose body was tampered with was Shakespeare. William Shakespeare died on April 23rd, 1616, and he was buried at the Church of the Holy Trinity in Stratford-upon-Avon, his hometown in central England. Obviously, like anybody else, Shakespeare wanted to rest peacefully and not have his body disturbed by anyone. But unfortunately for him, his grave might have been tampered with, and there's a chance that his skull is missing. In 2016, researchers did a ground-penetrating radar scan of Shakespeare's grave and discovered that the grave had been tampered with. According to the researchers, the radar picked up on an odd disturbance at the head end of his grave. The skull was apparently stolen in 1794, and according to legend, the skull was hidden in a crypt about 15 miles from Shakespeare's grave in Worcestershire. The research team that did a ground radar scan of the grave were actually able to find that crypt, and they were able to get a hold of the skull, but when they tested it, they discovered that it wasn't William Shakespeare's. It actually belonged to a woman who died when she was in her 70s. The first report that Shakespeare's grave was robbed was published in an 1879 magazine called The Argosy. And as the story goes, a doctor named Frank Chambers 
led the heist, and he sold the skull for 300 British pounds. In today's money, that's 39,000 British pounds, or about 56,000 US dollars. The magazine also gave the specific depth that the grave robbers allegedly dug to get to the skull. When the researchers scanned that area, they found that the hole's depth was about the same size described in the Argosy. The researchers considered this evidence in the story of Shakespeare's alleged grave robbing, and they believe that his skull has, in fact, been stolen. It seemed like Shakespeare knew that his final resting place was in danger of being tampered with. Grave robbing was actually really common back in the day. Grave robbers liked to take famous figures' bones as souvenirs or trophies. So as a sort of insurance against this, Shakespeare had a curse written on his grave that said, Good friend, for Jesus' sake, forbear. To dig the dust enclosed here, blessed be the man that spares these stones, and cursed be he that moves my bones. So whoever stole that skull probably had to deal with some sort of nasty curse. Not only do researchers not know if the skull is in his grave, they're not 100% sure that the grave belongs to Shakespeare himself. There's no name on the grave, which might have been his way of preventing grave robbing. But again, since nobody has been able to open the grave, the remains haven't been tested. The remains of his wife, Anne Hathaway, are buried next to him. But those remains haven't been disturbed or tested either. At the time, there were a lot of people who believed that you know, a trace of a person's character or their creativity, their intelligence, kind of their being was quite literally stored inside their body parts. And so in Shakespeare's case, it's possible grave robbers may have thought that the trace of his genius could be found in his skull and taken it for that reason. This kind of idea actually brought author Mary Shelley to keep part of her husband's heart as a keepsake in her house. You better keep my heart. Oh, no. In my brain, in my penis. Oh, my God. All three. (laughs) Maybe the penis. Oh, shit. (laughs) But for those who don't know, Mary Shelley was a gothic writer who famously wrote Frankenstein and other works. Love that story. Mm -hmm. You like Frankenstein? Makes sense. He slaps. Sure. (laughs) He slaps. Pretty good. (laughs) Okay. Back in Victorian England, it actually was pretty common for people to keep parts of their dead loved ones or do things like make jewelry out of their hair. Their hair, like a nice braid. Or like. It probably makes them. mm. I think the hair thing's kind of, I kind of get it. Yeah, I get the hair thing. People still do that today. Take hair. Yeah. I mean. They don't like wear it as jewelry most of the no, time. No, no. But some people do. Mm-hmm. Some people carry and like. Yeah. I think that's really nice, actually. Because yeah. um, I, I get it. It's like having it's having mm-hmm. a lo- actual piece of your yeah. loved one with you. Right. Also, after a loved one would die, their family would have their bodies made up and posed like dolls for final photographs. Isn't that the creepiest thing? Uh, yeah. the, looking at those types of photos, mm, it's very strange. Um, And this was especially common for children, especially because it was very common. Mortality rates were a lot higher back then. So, so far, no one has been allowed to open up Shakespeare's grave and check for the skull. But there are other researchers who want to do more than just that. Back in 2001, a South African anthropologist studied smoking pipe fragments from Shakespeare's garden and found evidence of marijuana residue in them. Hell yeah. He was getting lit. 420, baby. Yeah. (laughs) Shakespeare. I mean, you got to be honest, like Mm -hmm. to write all the stuff that he did. Like, well, he may not have. I don't think that's one we haven't covered. Oh, Shakespeare's conspiracy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
I don't oh, remember. Oh, that he didn't write it any of, any of it? Yeah. Yeah. It's actually Because he was too busy yeah. getting high. <laughs> yeah. He like let someone else do it. He's like, I, I got ghostwriter like, on ghostwriter. However, the results did not point to 100% being cannabis, unfortunately. Oh. So now he wants to open up Shakespeare's grave to test the remains and find out if he smoked weed. I think that's what we all want to know. It really yeah. is if Shakespeare was a stoner. A stoner. Yeah. The anthropologist said that the bard's curse only mentioned moving bones. So to get around it, he said he'd analyze the teeth for any traces of marijuana use. And there has been no update on this anthropologist's quest since 2001. Mm, yeah. <sighs> Probably didn't make it very one. far. Mm. Okay, so we have one more interesting figure to speak on here. Albert Einstein and his brain. This one's okay. a little, ugh, yeah. little gross. Mm-hmm. This warning. Mm-hmm. So Albert Einstein was born on March 14th, 1879, and died on April 18th, 1955, at the Princeton Hospital in New Jersey. Within seven and a half hours of his death, his brain was removed by a pathologist named Thomas Harvey, and he stole the brain, cut it up into slices, and then placed the slices on slides. That was a tongue twister. Those 240 brain slices were then preserved in formaldehyde and saloidin and kept in two cookie jars in Harvey's basement. And he kept most of the slides for himself and gave the rest to other scientists. Apparently, at the time, it wasn't super uncommon for pathologists to take organs from, from the autopsies that they thought were interesting. But the thing is, Harvey was just a pathologist. His responsibility that day was to determine Einstein's cause of death. He wasn't a neuroscientist, so he wasn't qualified to do his own investigative research on the brain. What he really wanted to try and study was to see if there was any differences to Albert Einstein's brain that may have contributed to his intelligence. To Harvey, this was his ticket to make a name for himself in the medical field, and he made that choice at the expense of Albert Einstein's last wishes. It's been disputed whether or not Albert Einstein himself consented to have his brain removed after his death. Also, it's contested whether or not his family consented either. According to author Brian Burrell, Einstein didn't want his brain to be removed or studied in any way. He actually wished to have his remains cremated and his ashes scattered in a secret location. That way, nobody would be able to tamper with his remains. Albert Einstein was a pretty modest and simple man, and he didn't want crowds of people visiting his gravesite. But apparently some people have reported that Einstein didn't mind if scientists studied his body after his death. A few days after Einstein's brain was stolen, his son Hans Albert found out about Harvey's theft. He was obviously furious that a pathologist went against his father's wishes. But Harvey was able to get Hans Albert to reluctantly approve of the research. But he agreed on the terms that the brain would only be studied for scientific purposes and nothing else would be done with it. Here's an explanation of how the brain was actually taken. And now, had he left instructions? No, nothing. Nothing. There is nothing in the will about the disposal of his body. Somehow it was known, though, he wanted to be cremated. That, that was known. Um, April 19th, which that thing you just showed, was the next day in the New York Times, his family, basically his son Hans Albert and his executor, Otto Nathan, read that the brain has been kept. And they're going, what? Nothing mentioned in, in, in the will, but that was like not on the script. And they go to the pathologist, Thomas Harvey, a guy in his 40s, who's the only chief pathologist at this little medical, uh, little hospital, Princeton Hospital. And Harvey pitches the, the pitch of his life. And he says, 
We're never going to get another chance like this. Let, let me study the brain. And Hans Albert goes for it. And so does Otto Nathan. So Harvey promised that he would conduct research on the brain carefully and publish his findings. But he lost his job soon after he stole the brain. Whatever research Harvey was planning on doing also stalled. And years and years passed by, but Harvey wasn't publishing any research with his findings. None of the studies he promised were coming out. And at one point, his wife threatened to dispose of the brain. So he grabbed the brain and slides and took them with him when he moved to Wichita, Kansas. In Wichita, Harvey kept the brain in a cider box and hid it under a beer cooler. By 1978, Harvey still hadn't published any research on Einstein's brain. A reporter named Stephen Levy visited his house that year to talk about his work, and Harvey didn't really want to talk to Stephen about the brain. But eventually, he agreed to meet with him in Wichita, and he explained that he'd given the brain slides to multiple prominent scientists. But in the end, he didn't hear much back from them. The ones who did end up contacting him explained that Einstein's brain wasn't that much different than an average man of his age. Not only did Harvey lose his job at Princeton Hospital over the theft, but his marriage crumbled too. Well, pretty rocky when she's threatening to throw out Einstein's brain, his prized possession. And the end of his marriage became a pretty sore spot in his life. But after Stephen published the article, more researchers contacted Harvey in hopes of analyzing his samples. So Harvey turned over the samples to a neuroanatomist at UC Berkeley. The results of this study were published in 1985. The researcher discovered that one of the samples of Einstein's brain actually had more glial cells per neuron than the average brain. Glial cells keep neurons in place and provide them with oxygen. So this might have given Einstein more brain power than the average person. In 1996, another researcher discovered that Einstein's neurons were more closely packed together than the average person's brain. This means that Einstein may have been able to process information a lot faster. In the end, a scientist named Terence Hines was highly critical of the studies done on Einstein's brain. He said that the experiments were bad science and that there were multiple critical flaws in the way that they were conducted. For example, in the 1985 study, Heinz pointed out that the scientists were not blind to which samples were from Einstein's brain and which were from the control groups. Also, the brains from the control groups came from people aged 46 to 80. Einstein died at 76. So that's a pretty big age range for the control group. Plus, the brains were fresh, and Einstein's brain had been sitting in mason jars for two decades. So, in 1996, a study was done, and the authors based their conclusion on only one square millimeter of Einstein's brain. Plus, they didn't report the many ways which Einstein's brain was similar to the controls. So, the conclusions of these experiments weren't at all statistically or logically sound. So, if you think that Einstein was as smart as he is because his brain was different, that might not be very true. As for Einstein's brain itself, Pieces of it are pretty much all over the place, which is crazy to think about. Harvey gave his remaining samples to the chief pathologist at the University Medical Center of Princeton at Plainsboro. And that pathologist rarely sends out any samples for analysis. Harvey did do something pretty shocking with part of the brain back in 1994. That year, he was visited by a man who considered Albert Einstein to be one of his idols. He was on a quest to track down the brain and see it for himself. And the moment was actually captured as part of a BBC documentary. The clip shows Harvey taking a piece of brain out of the jar, 
placing it on a cutting board and slicing off a piece for the men to take home as a keepsake. Sweet. Mm-hmm. Many of Harvey's leftover brain slides stayed in his family until his death in 2007. And then they were donated to the Museum of Health and Medicine in Maryland, along with some never-before-seen photographs of the brain. Here's Dr. Sanjay Gupta talking about the brain photos. Never-before-seen pictures of Albert Einstein's brain have just been revealed, and they could provide clues about how he came to be one of the greatest geniuses of all time. Let's bring in our chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Sanjay, what can you tell us about a brain uh, by looking at it from the outside? But, you know, it, it's a hard thing to do, and, and this is something that neuroscientists explore quite a bit. And one thing to pay attention, you see all these grooves and these, these sort of um, what we call sulci uh, within the brain. And if you think about the fact that when the brain develops, you get many more of these convolutions as your brain sort of develops and grows. If you have more convolutions, if it's just more ridges and, and valleys like you're seeing there, what that means is you have more surface area sort of on the brain. And, that, and that's a great place to sort of start trying to analyze just what the, the, uh, the effectiveness, the impact uh, of all those neurons in that area would be. If you have more gray area like that, you have more neurons and the brain can talk to other areas of the brain more easily. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean someone is going to be more intelligent, but what I think we can best say is that based on images like that, the, 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 the capacity is there. There's a greater capacity for the brain to talk to each other in different ways. Uh, how else does uh, Einstein's brain, Sanjay, differ from the vast majority of us? I, I, wanna, I want you to look at something very specific here. If we can pull up this one image, and uh, if you can see this, Wolf, uh, there, there's, this is an area of the frontal lobe. And I want you to look specifically at that yellow area, and then there's a red line in between. In Albert Einstein's brain, that area of the frontal lobe was, in fact, split into two areas. In most people, again, you, know, it's, it's, you have large data on, on lots of different brains. In most people, that area is fused together. That's an area of the brain, Wolf, that's responsible for a lot of executive functioning. So not just the thinking of ideas, but the actual implementation of ideas, the, the ability to take concepts and do something with them. It's hard, Wolf, to, to, to make a, an extrapolation to say, look, this is the explanation as to why he was able to do so many of the things that he was doing. But when you look for some of these differences and figure out what those areas of the brain do, you can start to piece together a brain like Albert Einstein's. And that area that, there, Wolf, I, I don't know if you can still see it, sort of split in two, that's unusual and it could uh, be an important distinction in terms of his his intelligence. Very interesting. So stuff. physical markers to suggest mm-hmm. that he had a greater capacity, like his brain was more, mm-hmm. just grew and developed in a more optimized manner to store and process more information. Mm-hmm. So is is there a link between like the physical development of his brain to the actual intelligence? I don't know. Yeah, I, I feel like you're clearly not. Yeah, I feel like your brain's not actually tied to your your intelligence in like yeah maybe not a lot of ways i think there's it helps process and do certain things like directly to your body but as far as like coming up with new ideas like we've talked about this before with nikola tesla and like mm-hmm. actually form like forming his theory of general relativity like did that Any come from his genius. brain or did that come from somewhere else like where did that thought come from was it your brain that originated it or was it something you know we've talked about the akashic records things mm-hmm. like that like mm-hmm. was it something you know that he sort of pulled from Old, yeah you know another dimension but maybe you can only be the type of person who can access that type of thing if your brain is 
Maybe. I'd love to see Nikola Tesla's brain versus Albert Einstein's brain. If you Mm. put them side by side, I wonder if they'd be similar as Mm. far as physical characteristics go. Yeah. Or like Elon Musk or something. Yeah. Or like Elon Musk. Yeah. Put a bunch of really. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He's so same. I'm like, Elon Musk is a smart guy, but definitely not on the level as Albert Einstein and and Nikola Tesla by No. no means. But very smart. Be interesting to see. We don't know where the rest of Albert Einstein's brain slices are. They're all over the country. He gave them, you know, to all these different scientists back in 1955, and he didn't hear back from most of them. So for all we know, they're just sitting in these scientists' attics. Or maybe they're in a box somewhere at your local Goodwill. Ew. And you don't even know. Uh, we cannot be doubt sure. <laughs> well, here's something interesting, too, is that Harvey, not only did he take the brain, but he actually took Albert Einstein's eyeballs. Oh, he did. Yeah, he removed his eyeballs hmm. and gave them to Albert Einstein's eye doctor, Henry Abrams. And to this day, they remain in a safety deposit box in New York City. And hmm. frequently, they've been rumored to be potentially going up on the auction block. Hmm. So there might be a chance at some point to own Albert Einstein's eyeballs. Wow. Imagine having like a jar That's with just his sad. eyeballs. <laughs> I know. I'm just he like, would hate this, I think, probably. <laughs> I agree. I don't know, though. As a scientific mind, you would think that you'd want you know, to further science and maybe if there's something to be learned from you, wouldn't yeah. you want yourself to Well, maybe to detached be from his physical body. He'd feel differently, but I don't know. Sounds like he didn't want to be disturbed. Well, it's just your physical body at that point. It's just your yeah. flesh vehicle. So screw true, it. Screw true, it. Chop me true. up. Chop me up. Make me into jewelry, <laughs> furniture, whatever Chop you me want. up. Because <laughs> once uh, I'm gone, this body don't, don't mean nothing. That's, that is true. Right? Yep. And we're all old and wrinkly in the end anyway, so. Mm-hmm. So why not? What does it matter? Store it on slides and <laughs> yeah. attics. Why not put me in a jar and then let me float forever? <laughs> well, we want to know what you guys think about all of these missing body parts, and you know what? Which ones do you think actually have some truth behind it? Um, do the you JFK have any brain opinions? Is yeah. by far the most mysterious. Like, yeah, let us know your thoughts on that one. I'm sure you guys will. That one's wild. But that's it. Feels good to be back. Woo! I have missed podcasting that's for sure this was really fun amazing one episode down a million to go Bam. oh a million <laughs> we'll be in this till we're dead <laughs> in this seat forever yeah. and we'll be preserved <laughs> as podcasters all right guys that's it for us today we hope you enjoyed today's episode we will be back next week but until then keep on taking Take your, your mind, mind a mile higher see you next time <laughs>